Section 9 of An Editor's Tales by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Panjandrum, Part 1, Hope, Continued. As I began with the lady, so I must end with her. I had seen and read sheaves of her manuscripts, and must express my conviction at this day, when all illusions are gone, that she wrote with wonderful ease and with some grace. A hard critic might perhaps say that it was slipshod, but still it was generally readable. I believe that in the recesses of her privacy, and under the dark and secret guidance of Churchill Smith, she did give way to German poetry and abstruse thought. I heard once that there was a paper of hers on the essence of existence, in which she answered that great question as to personal entity, or as she put it, what is it to be? The paper never appeared before the committee, though I remember the question to have been once suggested for discussion. Pat Regan answered it at once. A drop of something short, said he. I thought then that everything was at an end. Her translation into a rhymed verse of a play of Schiller's did come before us, and nobody could have behaved better than she did when she was told that it hardly suited our project. What we expected from Mrs. St. Quintin in the way of literary performance I cannot say that we ourselves had exactly realized. But we knew that she was always ready for work. She gave us tea and muffins, and bore with us when we were loud and devoted her time to our purposes, and believed in us. She had exquisite tact in saving us from wordy quarreling, and was never angry herself, except when Pat Regan was too hard upon her. What became of her I never knew. When the days of the Panjandrum were at an end, she vanished from our sight. I always hoped that Mr. St. Quentin reconciled himself to literature, and took her back to his bosom. While we were only determining that the thing should be, all went smoothly with us. Columns, or the open page, made a little difficulty, but the lady settled it for us in favor of the double column. It is a style of page which certainly has a wiser look about it than the other, and then it has the advantage of being clearly distinguished from the ordinary empty book of the day. The word padding, as belonging to literature, was then unknown. But the idea existed, and perhaps the thing. We were quite resolved that there should be no padding in the panjandrum. I think our most ecstatic, enthusiastic, and accordant moments were those in which we resolved that it should be all good, all better than anything else, all best. We were to struggle after excellence with an energy that should know no relaxing, and the excellence was not to be that which might produce for us the greatest number of half-crowns, but of the sort which would increase truth in the world, and would teach men to labor hard and bear their burdens nobly, and become gods upon earth. I think our chief feeling was one of impatience in having to wait to find out what heaven death would usher us who unfortunately had to be human before we could put on divinity. We wanted heaven at once, 
and were not deterred though jack hallam would borrow ninepence and pat regan make his paltry little jokes we had worked hard for six months before we began to think of writing or even apportioning to each contributor what should be written for the first number i shall never forget the delight there was in having the young publisher in to tea and putting him through his figures and in feeling that it became us for the moment to condescend to matters of trade we felt him to be an inferior being but still it was much for us to have progressed so far towards reality as to have a real publisher come to wait upon us it was at that time clearly understood that i was to be the editor and i felt myself justified in taking some little lead in arranging matters with our energetic young friend a remark that i made one evening was very mild simply some suggestion as to the necessity of having a more than ordinarily well-educated set of printers but i was snubbed infinitely by churchill smith mr x said he can probably tell us more about printing than we can tell him i felt so hurt that i was almost tempted to leave the room at once i knew very well that if i seceded pat regan would go with me and that the whole thing must fall to the ground mrs st quintin however threw instant oil upon the waters churchill said she let us live and learn mr x no doubt knows why should we not share his knowledge i smothered my feelings in the public cause but i was conscious of a wish that mr smith might fall among the philistines of cursitor street and so of necessity be absent from our meetings there was an idea among us that he crept out of his hiding-place and came to our conferences by byways which was confirmed when our hostess proposed that our evening should be changed from thursday the day first appointed to sunday we all acceded willingly led away somewhat i fear by an idea that it was the proper thing for advanced spirits such as ours to go to work on that day which by ancient law is appointed for rest mrs st quentin would always open our meeting with a little speech gentlemen and partners in this enterprise she would say the tea is made and the muffins are ready our hearts are bound together in the work we are all in earnest in the good cause of political reform and social regeneration let the spirit of harmony prevail among us mr hallam perhaps you'll take the cover off to see jack hallam eat muffins was i will say a caution if the use of the slang phrase may be allowed to me for the occasion it was presumed among us that on these days he had not dined indeed i doubt whether he often did dine supper being his favorite meal i have supped with him more than once at his invitation when to be without coin in my own pocket was no disgrace and have wondered at the equanimity with which the vendors of shellfish have borne my friend's intimation that he must owe them the little amount due for our evening entertainment on these occasions his friend watt was never with him for walter's ideas as to the common use of property were theoretical jack dashed at once into the more manly course of practice when he came to mrs st quintin's one evening in my best nay why dally with the truth 
in my only pair of black dress trousers which i had lent him ten days before on the occasion as i then believed of a real dinner party i almost denounced him before his colleagues i think i should have done so had i not felt that he would in some fashion have so turned the tables on me that i should have been the sufferer there are men with whom one comes by the worst in any contest let justice on one's own side be ever so strong and ever so manifest but this is digression after the little speech jack would begin upon the muffins and churchill smith always seated at his cousin's left hand would hang his head upon his hand wearing a look of mingled thought and sorrow on his brow he never would eat muffins we fancied that he fed himself with penny hunches of bread as he walked along the streets as a man he was wild unsociable untamable but as a philosopher he had certainly put himself beyond most of those wants to which jack hallam and the others among us were still subject lydia he once said when pressed hard to partake of the good things provided man cannot live by muffins alone no nor by tea and muffins that by which he can live is hard to find i doubt we have not found it yet this to me seemed to be rank apostasy infidelity to the cause which he was bound to trust as long as he kept his place in that society how shall you do anything in the world achieve any success unless you yourself believe in yourself and if there be a partnership either in mind or matter your partner must be the same to you as yourself confidence is so essential to the establishment of a magazine i felt then at least that the panjandrum could have no chance without it and i rebuked mr churchill smith we know what you mean by that said i because we don't talk german metaphysics you think we ain't worth our salt so much worth it said he that i trust heartily you may find enough to save you even yet i was about to boil over with wrath but walter watt was on his legs making a speech about the salt of the earth before i had my words ready churchill smith would put up with walter when he would endure words from no one else i used to think him mean enough to respect the oxford fellowship but i have since fancied that he believed that he had discovered a congenial spirit in those days i certainly did despise watt's fellowship but in later life i have come to believe that men who get rewards have generally earned them watt on this occasion made a speech to which in my passion i hardly attended but i well remember how when i was about to rise in my wrath mrs st quintin put her hand on my arm and calmed me if you said she to whom we most trust for orderly guidance are to be the first to throw down the torch of discord what will become of us i haven't thrown down any torch said i neither take one up said she pouring out my tea for me as she spoke as for myself said regan i like metaphysics and i like them german is there anything so stupid and pig-headed as that insular feeling which makes us think nothing to be good that is not home-grown all the same said jack whoever eat a good muffin out of london 
Mr. Hallam, Mary Jane is bringing up some more, said our hostess. She was an open-handed woman, and the supply of these delicacies never ran low, as long as the panjandrum was a possibility. It was, I think, on this evening that we finally decided for columns, and for a dark gray wrapper, with a portrait of the panjandrum in the center. A fancy portrait it must necessarily be, but we knew that we could trust for that to the fertile pencil of Mrs. St. Quintin. I had come prepared with a specimen cover, as to which I had in truth consulted an artistic friend, and had taken with it no inconsiderable labor. I am sure, looking back over the long interval of years, at my feelings on that occasion, I am sure, I say, that I bore well the alterations and changes which were made in that design, until at last nothing remained of it. But what matters a wrapper? Surely of any printed and published work it is by the interior that you should judge it. It is not that old conjurer's head that has given its success to Blackwood, nor yet those four agricultural boys that have made the Cornhill what it is. We had now decided on columns, on the cover and the color. We had settled on the number of pages, and had thumbed four or five specimens of paper submitted to us by our worthy publisher. In that matter we had taken his advice, and chosen the cheapest. But still we liked the thumbing of the paper. It was business. Paper was paper, then, and bore a high duty. I do not think that the system of illustration had commenced in those days, though a series of portraits was being published by one distinguished contemporary. We readily determined that we would attempt nothing of that kind. Then there arose a question as to the insertion of a novel. Novels were not then, as now, held to be absolutely essential for the success of a magazine. There were at that time magazines with novels and magazines without them. The discreet young publisher suggested to us that we were not able to pay for such a story as would do us any credit. I myself, who was greedy for work, with bated breath, offered to make an attempt. It was received with but faint thanks, and Walter Watt, rising on his legs, with eyes full of fire and arms extended, denounced novels in the general. It was not for such purpose as that he was about to devote to the production of the panjandrum any erudition that he might have acquired, and all the intellect that God had given him. Let those who wanted novels go for them to the writer who dealt with fiction in the open market. As for him, he at any rate would search for truth. We reminded him of Blumen. Tell your novel in three pages, said he, and tell it as that is told, and I will not object to it. We were enabled, however, to decide that there should be no novel in the panjandrum. Then at length came the meeting at which we were to begin our real work and divide our tasks among us. Hitherto Mr. X had usually joined us, but a hint had been given to him that on this and a few following meetings we would not trespass on his time. It was quite understood that he, as publisher, was to have nothing to do with the preparation or arrangement of the matter to be published. 
we were i think a little proud of keeping him at a distance when we came to the discussion of that actual essence of our combined intellects which was to be issued to the world under the grotesque name which we had selected that mind and matter should be kept separated was impressed very strongly upon us all now we were mind and mr x was matter he was matter at any rate in reference to this special work and therefore when we had arrived at that vital point we told him i had been commissioned to do so that we did not require his attendance just at present i am bound to say that mr x behaved well to the end but i do not think that he ever warmed to the panjandrum after that i fancy that he owns two or three periodicals by now and hires his editors quite as easily as he does his butlers and with less regard to their characters i spent a nervous day in anticipation of that meeting pat regan was with me all day and threatened dissolution there isn't a fella in the world said he that i love better than walter watt and i'd go to jamaica to serve him when the time came which it did oh so soon he was asked to go no further than kensal green but and then pat paused you're ready to quarrel with him said i simply because he won't laugh at your jokes there's a good deal in that said regan and when two men are in a boat together each ought to laugh at the other's jokes but the question isn't as to our laughing if we can't make the public laugh sometimes we may as well shut up shop Walter is so intensely serious that nothing less austere than lay sermons will suit his conscience. Let him preach his sermon, and do you crack your jokes. Surely we can't be dull when we have you and Jack Hallam. Jack'll never write a line, said Regan. He only comes for the muffins. Then think of Churchill Smith and the sort of stuff he'll expect to force down our readers' throats. Smith is sour, but never tedious, said I. Indeed, I expected great things from Smith, and so I told my friend. Lydia will write, said Pat. We used to call her Lydia behind her back. And so will Churchill Smith, and what? I do not doubt that they have choirs written already, but no one will read a word of it. Jack and you and I will intend to write, but we shall never do anything. This I felt to be most unjust, because, as I have said before, I was already engaged upon the press. My work was not remunerative, but it was regularly done. I am afraid of nothing, said I, but distrust. You can move a mountain, if you will only believe that you can move it. Just so, but in order to avoid the confusion consequent on general motion among the mountains, I and other men have been created without that sort of faith. It was always so with my poor friend, and consequently he is now Attorney General at a Turtle Island. Had he believed as I did, he and Jack, I still think that the Panjandrum might have been a great success. Don't you look so glum, he went on to say. I'll stick to it and do my best. I did put Lord Bateman into rhymed Latin verse for you last night. Then he repeated to me various stanzas, of which I still remember one. Duam duxi verum est, 
fidiam sed merum est. Si virgo midi data fut, virgo tibi redatur. Venit in epipio, mihi et contipio. Satis est si triga pro reditu conciditur. That cheered me a little, for I thought that Pat was good at these things, and I was especially anxious to take the wind out of the sails of Fraser and Father Prout. Bring it with you, said I to him, giving him great praise. It will raise our spirits to know that we have something ready. He did bring it, but Lydia required to have it all translated to her, word by word. It went off heavily, and was at last objected to by the lady. For the first and last time during our debates, Miss Collins ventured to give an opinion on the literary question under discussion. She agreed, she said, with her friend, in thinking that Mr. Regan's Latin poem should not be used. The translation was certainly as good as the ballad, and I was angry. Miss Collins, at any rate, need not have interfered. At last the evening came, and we sat round the table, after the teacups had been removed, each anxious for his allotted task. Pat had been so far right in his views as to the diligence of three of our colleagues that they came furnished with piles of manuscript. Walter Watt, who was afflicted with no false shame, boldly placed before him on the table a heap of blotted paper. Churchill Smith held in his hand a roll, but he did not, in fact, unroll it during the evening. He was a man very fond of his own ideas, of his own modes of thinking and manner of life, but not prone to put himself forward. I do not mind owning that I disliked him, but he had a power of self-abnegation which was, to say the least of it, respectable. As I entered the room my eyes fell on a mass of disheveled sheets of paper which lay on the sofa behind the chair on which Mrs. St. Quentin always sat, and I knew that these were her contributions. Pat Regan, as I have said, produced his unfortunate translation, and promised with the greatest good humor to do another when he was told that his last performance did not quite suit Mrs. St. Quentin's views. Jack had nothing ready nor indeed was anything ready ever expected from him. I, however, had my own ideas as to what Jack might do for us. For myself, I confess that I had in my pocket from two to three hundred lines of what I conceived would be a very suitable introduction, in verse, for the first number. It was my duty, as I thought, as editor, to provide the magazine with a few initiatory words. I did not, however, produce the rhymes on that evening, having learned to feel that any strong expression of self on the part of one member at that board was not gratifying to the others. I did take some pains in composing those lines, and thought at the time that I had been not unhappy in mixing the useful with the sweet. How many hours shall I say that I devoted to them? Alas, alas, it matters not now. Those words which I did love well never met any eye but my own. Though I had them then by heart, they were never sounded in any ear. It was not personal glory that I desired. They were written that the first number of the Panjandrum might appear becomingly before the public, and the first number of the Panjandrum never appeared. 
I looked at them the other day, thinking whether it might be too late for them to serve another turn. I will never look at them again. End of section 9 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina